All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, this guy looking swanky. He's got the comb over going. Badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. Today, we're going to be talking about building a high-performance center and a high-performance team, who you need on the team, what it takes to build that team, as well as why, how you can communicate all around the athlete-centered approach. So Alex, what's the first thing we're looking at? Yeah, so I mean, the first thing that I look at, and I think the the bulk of what needs to be discussed is how to create an environment and, or an atmosphere. And I mean, there's certain specific ways that I always look to do that. But if you create a high-performance environment and everybody knows, then then it's, it's almost like like a, a smog in the air that hits you when you walk in. It's not like it's not like just somewhere you walk in and whatever, just go about your business. It's like you walk in, you can tell everybody's on a mission. You can tell there's a, things that need to be accomplished and you can tell that the, there's excellence, you know, kind of overlaying and seeping into everything. So creating that environment and the atmosphere to me is is the biggest hurdle when we're creating a, the high performance uh, center, the high place. Yeah, dude, like I've, I'm sure you've been there, but like I've been certain places, like recently I just went to, I, I'm working with Altus, yada, yada, all these different things. And they're based out of Exos, which if, if you know anything about strength conditioning, it used to be athletes or athlete performance and or AP is what they call it. And when I walked into this place, there was like a, like a, almost like a feeling in the air, like shit's getting done. And so you walk in there, they also have their, the number one place in the entire world for the NFL combine prep athletes. And this is the headquarters in Phoenix. So you walk in there and you see all these big old NFL first rounders, second rounders, third rounders, these amazing athletes all there pushing each other and there's just something in the water there it seems like which there was they have you know those little drink coolers the little lemonade coolers they have that full of on it electrolytes which is so fucking cool because that's what i have my guys rehydrate with which is awesome um but so it's like when i walked in there i'm like oh i want to be a part of this that's what you should feel that's what anybody that walks through your door should feel like immediately And that's what you're trying to strive for is when you walk through those doors or somebody else walks through those doors, you want them to feel like, I don't know. I don't know what it costs. I don't know what it's going to take, but I want to be a part of this moving forward because this is special. Yeah. The feeling feeling like I need to be here because I can tell that here is where shit gets done or here is where um, like I'm going to accomplish my goals and be on my mission. Right. So we're going to spend the bulk of the time talking about like actionable steps that we've seen that can lead to this environment. And, and just like Austin said, I've been a part of a, a few of these type of environments, you know, the UFC PI is like that where just everybody is on board and the top of their game. Um, the university of Denver was kind of where I was first exposed to it. And they, they're extremely on, even in a collegiate setting, they're extremely on top of things as far as their high performance atmosphere. Um, but there's numerous centers like this and it's just, it's how can you create that within your own practice or within your own, uh, setting. And I think that's well worth fleshing out and talking about because the environment and the, and we've consciously tried to stay away from the word culture because it's very vague and ambiguous, but, um, that type of atmosphere is what gets people to stay and gets people to their goal or motivates in the more acute sense rather than um, creates just a place where you're you're taking time or you're getting through or getting by. Yeah. So talking about like uh, for combat sports, the the first thing you got to suss out and you got to kind of like figure out is, do you want to be a a jujitsu gym? Are you just going to be jujitsu? Are you going to be a fight gym? Do you want to be an overall performance center? 
And, and that comes down to what are the goals for what you want to do? And something me and Alex have talked about, it can't just be your goals. It needs to be every single person that is involved with this particular thing, this particular center. What is everybody that has a say in this place? What are their goals? And you got to put them all together because that's, if you have one person leading the ship and 90 other people that don't see, don't see what that person's seeing, they don't think that it should go this way. It should go the other way. Then that's just going to be a ship that it's going to be the Titanic. It's going to hit an iceberg and it's going to sink. Yeah. And I think the first way to get there is you need to, whether you're with your team or by yourself, initially you need to establish your, your, your core mission, your core values. Um, I, I think defining those goes a certain distance, but then you have to live them out and you have to communicate relentlessly with everybody. You have to get everybody on the same page with them. You have to make sure you got the right people on the bus, right people in the, in the facility. Um, and th- those are what we're going to focus on is, is once you have that mission and it should be a pretty clearly defined mission. You know, if you're going to be a, the best jujitsu gym or you're going to be a wrestling center, or you're going to be a, a sports performance, strength and conditioning facility. Like those are things that you need to define and like, and even go a step further. Uh, like the gym that I'm a part of right now, w- our mission is to be the best small group training gym for elite athletes. Like that's pretty well defined, but it needs to be there so that we can target our marketing. We can target our, our goals and our ambitions. And I can target my uh, performance side of things to that and cater to that small group, be it six to 10 athletes. So find that clearly defined thing that you are going to be the best in the world at the best in your demographic, the best in your state, whatever it is, and then attack that and figure out what it takes to be that best. Yeah. And so bringing it to MMA in particular, because I know a lot of people listening are MMA uh, there. I see kind of two pathways you can go down. There's, I want my gym to be small, tight knit, kind of like a homegrown talent type gym. And that's probably what I would say right now, mostly the gym that I'm associated with like fight ready and siege. That's what we are. Or you can be wanting to create a mega gym, a destination training facility, a place where you attract high level talent that fly in for camp and then live somewhere else. But it's really hard to do both of those things. And that's something that all of the coaches need to be on the same page with on what are we as a gym? Mm-hmm. So like I see like something that can occur is you have your homegrown talent. Say you don't know what you are. This is just an example. You don't know what you are. You have your homegrown talent that they're good, they're getting better, all these different things. And then somebody flies in from Abu Dhabi or wherever, and they're top 10 in the UFC. They come in, they do their camp there. And then you start, all your coaches start spending extra time that you originally told your homegrown talent you don't got time for. And you spend extra time with these people that are flying in. And that can cause animosity through the entire system, coaches, uh, owners, team, everything. So that's why you need to know your vision. You need to know what your team is doing and you got to know what the goals are. I personally, I really like the homegrown talent side of things. I think that's a good way to help build a community. I think that's a great way that if you're a homegrown talent, you have your fighters are also teaching classes there. You're building a, a center. You're building a center in your community that's going to grow and it's going to evolve. But on the other side of things, there's nothing wrong with the other side of the spectrum, the ATTs of the world, the extreme couture's of the world, where people fly in for their destination, do their camp, and then go home to their family. It's just, if you don't know what side you're on, you're going to get stuck in the middle 
And just like striking, you're either you're in or you're out. If you're stuck in the middle, you're probably getting clipped. A hundred percent. And I think, I mean, and again, if you're just starting out, I think the homegrown approach is, is something that you have to do. Like that's going to be what keeps the, you know, the lights on because the, the mega gym and the allure that only happens with a lot of capital, man, whether it's capital monetarily capital, like reputation capital in uh, prestige and talent that's there. Like those gyms don't start off that way unless they, they have that. So um, starting off with the homegrown approaches is again, where I lean as well. But like you said, there's nothing to, wrong with going to either of those um, type of places. So bringing it back to the atmosphere and talking about what we can do as owners, as coaches, as um, facilitators of this, the first thing that, that we had talked about was getting the right people um, involved in your your business or your gym. And I'll let Austin talk a little bit to that about how to identify the right people and um, why it's so important to have, you know, people that are on the same message on the same wavelength rather than people that may be perceived as experts. Well, it, to me, this same scenario kind of, it also goes to like, I break it down like a basketball player. You can teach skill. You can't teach height. The same thing I apply to, to the hiring process. You can teach skills. You can't teach someone to be more likable. You can't teach personality. You can't teach, you can't change a person's like actual core values, you, you but you can teach them FMS. You can teach them FRC. You can teach them all of the different skills that you think they need to be successful. But as a person, you're not going to change that person at a core level. So in the hiring process, it's a lot more important to find somebody that you mesh with and fits your core agenda. It fits your beliefs than to find somebody that is a world champ coach that say, say you're looking to hire a uh, a new jujitsu coach to me personally. And again, I'm, I, I own a clinic, not a gym. So this, this is hypothetical, but to me personally, when I'm hiring a new jujitsu coach, I would be looking for maybe a Brown belt that has a good name, very set, very solid skill set, um, and is able to coach really, really well, but connects with people. You see that he has that touch that when he see when he speaks to somebody, they feel like they're the only person in the room. As opposed to, man, I gotta go hire, I gotta go hire last year's ADCC champ who might be a dickhead. Like you need to find somebody you could build a program around and that can help you bring people in and help your fighters get to the next level, not somebody that can show crazy ass techniques. And then they're like, all right break and they try to go do it. And when they ask for certain help, they're like, Oh, you should get this by now. Why don't you get this? Cause that's my biggest pet peeve is when I see coaches that they're great at what they do, but they can't connect with person on somebody on a personal level. And they can't, they, they just expect everybody to be able to do that already. They should, you should be able to do what I do. And I'm fault. I'm, I'm at fault of it. Some of the mobility stuff, I, I'm like, well, you should be able to do that already. And it's just because I have extremely mobile joints. I can get there. I'm like, I expect them. But you got to catch yourself and you got to have somebody that realizes that not everybody can do what you do. And they have to have a good personality to connect with that person and get them to the next level, not just be like, oh, here's the technique. Do it on your own. Well, I think that that dispels a common kind of misconception that just because you're a great athlete, you'd be a great coach. Like that's blatantly false. Um, so again, definitely hiring for the the personality or, or getting what I think of is I read a book by Jim Collins, good to great. 
Um, it's more about building business and seeing how the middle of the road companies really climbed the tops and stayed there and sustained it. But um, one of the first chapters, he talks about getting the right people on the bus and he's kind of framing it in a bus ride home from a wrestling meet or, or from a, a team competition. He's like, you need people that are going to be supportive and encourage and keep pushing the bus forward. You can't have even two or three people that are trying to stop the bus or drive it the other way. You know, it, it, you have to have the right people that are on the bus that question like productively and genuinely are working towards the best interests of the gym and for everybody, not questioning and um, deceiving and, and all this and having their own agenda. It's the person that is moving everyone forward and getting everybody kind of in line with the team mission and with, again, the team goals, because that's another, I think, factor of building this atmosphere is having a community-based focus. It's not exclusively on this one person to develop. It's not exclusively on me as a coach. It's not my show that I'm running. It's the whole community that makes a gym and makes a team what it is because that that focus will make your gym become that third place, right? The, the homework and then at your gym and at your place because that community is what people identify with. It's not necessarily just this one skill set or this one coach or this one thing I get to do. It's, it's the community. I get to do this thing with all my friends and, and my coach, somebody that I genuinely admire, genuinely um, can rely on for anything. Right. And then sticking with the same bus analogy, something I've heard in the past is like, you also can't be afraid that if you do hire a good coach, you can't be afraid to let them do the good coach stuff, right? Like so many times you as the owner feel like you need to show authority and you need to micromanage. And at the end of the day, like the person that's driving the bus for the most part, isn't the smartest person on the bus, <laughs> like in, in reality. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so like typically the bus driver isn't, isn't going to be the person with the highest intellect on the bus, but he's but, the person that gets the entire ship going the right way. It's the person that can organize everybody. And he's probably the best at driving the bus. Exactly. Right. He's not the best at changing the tire. He's not the best at fucking, if you're driving a school bus, he's not the best at most likely if you're driving a high school school bus, you're probably not better at the person doing calculus in the back of the bus, finishing their homework. Right. So like if you're in charge, you, if you're the person doing the hiring process, you also, if you, once you find the right people, let those people be what you hired them to be. Don't try to step on their toes and try to micromanage them. It's you just drive the school bus, you drive the entire clinic, the gym, whatever it may be, and let those other people do their job. And if they're doing their job, everything goes smooth. Yeah. And I think that's a, I mean, for me personally, that's a stage of my career I'm excited to get to. I mean, I haven't ever personally hired anybody, but um, I look forward to that because, and I hope that it stays with me because I've been on the receiving end of some of those poor bus drivers that micromanage and stuff. And, and I just wonder, I hope I continue to have the humility to do things differently or get a different experience through mine. And it's a whole different ball game. Um, and I've taught some internship classes and, and done this and that, but it's a whole different ball game coaching coaches versus coaching athletes. That's my um, favorite. That's the fun part. That's the fun right. Stuff. It's amazing. I, <laughs> I love it because you get to work with people that are hungry for the same knowledge that you have or you're willing to acquire. Uh, that's like super interesting and super um, motivating, but it's it's a, a different animal because I think, again, the ego gets in and at it a different way. It's not always going to be a problem, but the ego works interpersonally as well. So I think that's, that's a special person that you find that, that can evade, especially in athletics when 
results are so instantaneous and everything seems to be on you and your own merit. That's a special person that you can get that is less driven by the ego and more driven by the community success and the team's mission. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess going off of that, when we talk about uh, getting the right people on the bus and then delegating and creating this atmosphere, I think one of the things that you have to do bar none that needs to be, you know, is integral into having people buy in or having a, a, a tight knit community is leading by example. Right. Yeah. So I think that's one of the biggest things that I have seen in any high performance environment that we've gone into is the person at the top is working just as hard as the intern trying to earn their first paycheck or as the intern trying to earn their next spot. Right. I think just leading by example in that capacity carries a lot of weight um, no, yeah, I, I personally, that's something that I, you, you run into difficulty when you're starting your business, right? So with me, just, just time management, there's all these different things you got to get done. And as while I, I do a lot of people's strength stuff, and this year has been the least amount of time I've ever worked out in my life. And it's something I've struggled with because you want to lead by example. Like you're the strength coach, bro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're, you're yeah. trying to, you're, you're teaching these, these athletes how to move their bodies well and how to, how you're trying to be a positive example and lead by example. And then, but you have all these other things you got to take care of and something falls by the wayside. And to me, that was my, my physical lift. Yeah. And it's something I've struggled with. And that's my goal for 2021 is to get back to that, to that athlete, that athlete that I was going into the year before I started my business. Um, and Alex, Alex kind of says it really well, where you, when he's talking about when you lead by example, everything falls into place. If you're doing your job, you don't need to say many things. Everybody right. else sees that the person in charge is doing their job and they're working just as hard as the person that's sweeping the floors then guess what? Every single person wants to be a part of that company because the person on top isn't a hypocrite. One of the mm-hmm. biggest things you see with businesses that kind of start falling by the wayside is that people get complacent. People start to kind of fall into these patterns. They're like, oh, it's okay. Like I, I can delegate this. I, they start delegating too much. And then the person at the top, while he's making the biggest paycheck for the most part, isn't really doing the same amount of work as the person that's in, we'll say spot three, spot four. Yeah. <clears throat> so like, it's, it's extremely important to not only speak a good game, but also back that shit up with your actions. <laughs> yeah. Amen, dude. And, and it, it becomes blatantly obvious. And that's one of the first things that I learned in the first wrestling room that I was in, uh, I guess the technically the second wrestling room I was in, but it's like, if you're a captain, if you're a leader on the team, and, you know, and you see that the mop, the mats aren't being mopped, pick up the mop and do it. You know, don't yell at the freshmen to get get on their shit and be like, I mean, I think hypocrisy is one of the most identifiable and one of the most hated traits in any person ever. And I think I think everybody can see it. Everybody identifies it. Everybody agrees that hypocrisy is not is not a trait that you look for in a leader. Right. right. So. So I think if you live it and then, and then that's also to me, a good test of seeing if you have the right people on the bus, because if I, let's say, you know, let's say I'm, I'm the whatever CEO or I'm the team captain and I see the mops aren't, the mats aren't getting mopped. Maybe I'll say that right once, uh, the mats probably, aren't probably not <laughs> are getting mopped and I pick up the mop. I would expect a freshman or a sophomore or one of my employees or somebody that, that is on the same mission that I am jump in and help with me or take that job from me because they know that I have different priorities at the time or, or something, somebody jumps in and 
identifies that it's not something that the lead should be taking, right? So that's a good check in to see if who's on my bus and are we actually paying attention and wanting to do the right thing? Or are we just looking to do the bare minimum get by? Because those are the people like, like we've talked about before that we don't want on our bus, right? Yeah. No. And well, just a, the exact same scenario we have. So we have Eric Anders in town. He trains with us. He, he flies in from Alabama and does all of his camps with us. And I fucking love having him in the room. He's one of those guys. So he, I mean, shit, at one point, I think he was the number 10 middleweight in the UFC. He, and, and he's coming in, he, he's paying a good amount of money to be at fight ready. He doesn't need to mop mats. Like we got all the, we got amateur guys and all these different things at the end of practice. Who's the first person to pick up a mop every fucking time. It's Eric Anders. He picks up the mop first. He's the one that tells everybody, look, we got to get these, this shit done. And it, it goes to the thing that people may or may not know about Eric is he was, I think an all American, but even if he wasn't an all American, he was a starting linebacker on the Alabama national championship team, the Nick, one of Nick Saban's team. And he says it, he, I've asked him about it. And he said that comes from Saban. Saban expects all of his leaders to lead from the front. Said so if, if nobody's doing it, you're a captain, you better fucking step up. Yeah. And that's, that's what Eric, that's how he treats the MMA room. That's how he treats his, even though he doesn't even do team practices because he's doing a personalized camp. Mm-hmm. He gets up, mops the mat by himself if nobody's going to join him. He says stuff. If nobody listens after the first time, he just does it all himself. Yep. And that's what a leader does. Yeah, and that, that elevates everyone else's game or elevates the whole atmosphere of of the room. Um, and I mean, I think there's a time, there's a place for for the character leaders and the moral guys that bring bring heart to the team and just carry that torch. Um, as far as if we're talking about team MMA practices that just that bring it every day and have the right energy that elevates everyone else's game, everyone else's mental state, everyone else's, um, you know, carrying out of their own job. Like if I have an athlete in my sessions, that's on their shit all the time. They're always on time. They're always properly fueled. They're ready to do the work. And I come in as a coach without my shit together or without a, a clear aim for my plan, then like, then that doesn't sit well, right? That that can't happen. Mm-hmm. So that that's going to force me to be better in my job. And then it's kind of just a positive feedback loop where everybody else keeps stepping up, keeps stepping up, keeps stepping up. And that's that's ultimately where we get to with a high performance setting is is something that we we have a mission every time we come in. And there's a certain demeanor that's that's expected, right? There's these expectations that we as coaches, we as facilitators need to blatantly communicate, but also subtly communicate because um, communication is nonverbal and when we see all that, when we see how I carry myself, how I perform all my tasks, how I, I look on a mission, that's going to carry a lot of weight to the intern in the next room or to the athletes that that's there on their first week, or, you know, even the guy that's trying to make a change, right? It's going to make an impact on those guys because they see what you're doing. And then that establishes a certain expectation. Right. And then that also buckles back to the hiring process. If somebody walks in and they don't like the culture that you're making, they're not even going to want to, they're not even going to apply for that job. They're going to walk in and be like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. This isn't the direction I want to go in. People like once you have a good, I know we're starting to stay away from culture, but once you have a good culture, it starts to repel all the shit bags, mm-hmm. all the people that you don't want to be with you. That good culture typically is going to weed them out without them even being there because they don't want to put in the extra work to be a part of something special. hundred percent. I think, I think of that in my, my daily practice now, and I'm kind of reflecting as I think about where's that fine line of, of 
you know, toting the line and holding the expectation and keeping every athlete accountable to everything. And then where's the fine line between that and just being an asshole? I think there's, right. there's two different ways. And I think the biggest thing is the communication factor and the, the genuine understanding. Like if I am just berating a kid or an athlete to continually do this thing and I have no established relationship, I have no established rapport, I don't, I don't, then I'm just being an asshole. Right. But if I if I get to know this kid and, and we genuinely understand each other's mission and then I'm berating him, he knows I'm on him for the best that he can possibly perform. And I'm pushing him because it's what I think is the best right then, not because I just want to be a dick. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that that brings us to another thing that we talked about a huge amount is accountability. Yeah. How do you how how can you keep everybody on your team, including yourself, accountable? And then keeping the ship or keeping the bus, if we stick with that analogy, moving forward, because if one, like you said, if one person starts pulling the opposite direction, that bus might get a flat tire. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's, it's, I, I mean, if, if you've listened to any podcasts, you know that I don't mince words. Um, I swear like a sailor and I say exactly what's on my mind and have no subtlety to it. Um, but for me, as far as accountability wise, when I, like when I talk to my fighters about accountability, when I talk to Corrales, I talk to Hunter, whoever it may be, I tell them exactly how I'm feeling. I expect you to give me 100% and I'm going to give you 150%. I'm all in on every single session that I do. And if you're not giving me 100% back, well, guess what? I know myself and I tell, I've told every single person up front, if you're not going to give me 100%, I can't fake 100%. That's not how I would. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's, some, that's something I need to work on personally. Cause you, you gotta be able to sometimes as a coach fake a hundred percent, but at right now in my career, I can't fake a hundred percent. So if you're not wanting to be there, I don't want to be there either. That means that session is going to be shit. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, like I said, subtle art or very hard place to be when you know that either the athlete isn't performing up to what they're capable of, or there's some factor that's getting in the way of the, the hundred percent effort. And it's a lot of the times, man, it's, it's just not even worth being in the session at that point. You know, it, yeah. it's not, yeah. it's not it's like a, a waste discipl- of time. It's not like a discipline thing. Not like I hate you go home, blah, blah, blah. It's like, let's hit tomorrow. Let's reset. Let's, let's actually come with a full, you know, training approach and load rather than, you know, wade through the bullshit. Like that, I think that I think that's warranted in a lot more uh, situations than it's actually taken advantage of because there's for me there's such this connotation of like kicking athletes out of the weight room blah 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 it's like such this horrific thing it's like no man like you're not feeling it today and like I get that everybody's allowed to have an off day like or everybody's allowed to have distractions like it happens but we got to bounce back and we can't make that a consistent thing like that that becomes a different animal when it's consistently happening like that mm-hmm. but. Um, exactly what you're saying. I think you need to find a way to hold everybody accountable. And then when we talk about colleagues holding each other accountable, and I don't know that it's holding each other accountable to the same exact standard, but it's holding each other accountable to the same level of execution. Right. Right. Well, and it comes like, like we've talked about in the past, like you can't force your goals upon somebody else. Right. But you can hold somebody accountable to their goals if you have that open line of communication and you know what their goals are, that comes back to like the first thing we talked about in this podcast, having community-based goals, having everybody, even though you have your own separate goals, working towards one common theme. If you know everybody's own separate goals, like uh, Eddie, one of Eddie's goals was to co- Eddie Chaz, our striking coach. One of his goals was to coach a world champion and to be a world championship coach. Guess what? He was with Henry Sudo for his last fight. 
he accomplished his goal and he put in a bunch of extra work with Henry on his own time to get there. That was, and, but if, if he said, (laughs) if he said, I want to coach a world champion and then missed three of five practices a week, that's where somebody like Santino, somebody like Henry, somebody like captain jumps on his ass and says, look, you said you want to do this, but you're only, you're given, you want to be a world champ coach, but you're given JV coach effort. Like what's going on here. So if you don't know their goals in the first place, then you can't hold them accountable. This is where you need to sit down as a staff, sit down as a team, sit down as a, as an individual, like a, a fighter and a coach and everybody needs to know where everybody's at and where they want to get to over the next year or over the next five years. Yeah. And I totally understand. And, and I think that that stems down to, you know, caring as a person before you just care as a professional, right? It's like, it's like, have you established a relationship with these people? Do you genuinely like to spend time around these people and then genuinely care if they accomplish their goals? Cause I think if I don't care about my athletes accomplishing their goals, then I'm not holding them accountable. Then that's not going to be a, a high performance atmosphere that like we want. Right. I need to care in order to establish that relationship and in order to invest and hold these athletes and these other coaches accountable. Like it's not a it's not a matter of holding somebody's hand and, and making everybody do the same continued education. That's kind of one of my pet peeves is like if I have to assign people continued education and we have to do the same thing as a group, like you're not somebody I want on the bus. If I have to continually push it on you, right? I want somebody on the bus that's already working towards their own continued education and already working on their own to get better. And then I can check in and hold them accountable because I know that they're already self-driven that way. So, well, no, I was just going to say you're, you hit the nail on the head. I liked something you said that you don't want somebody, and I'm going to paraphrase your words because you said them better than me, but you don't want somebody that just wants to be there nine to five. Mm -hmm. You want somebody that wants to be there all the time. You want somebody that's all in all the time. And if they have to go over an hour, they have to, if somebody like in, for me, healthcare, it's different, right? Somebody, I want somebody on my healthcare team that if a patient texts you on a Friday at 7 PM and they have an acute neck that you love your job so much, you love what you do and who you work with that you'll stay for the extra 30 minutes, 45 minutes and work with that person. Unless obviously you have plans, but you got to love your job so much and want to be a part of something so much that it's not an inconvenience to stay at late. It's not an inconvenience to do extra work. Right. I think that's that's very millennial approach for you, Austin. Being being working into your passion, which uh, I completely agree with, is just kind of a, an observation that like loving what you do has not been like a prerequisite of having a job until whatever 2000 or until you know it's it's become more and more of a a standard, I guess, I think in whatever community or whatever, you know, society that we live in, but I think loving your job and being willing to do that extra work, like, you know, I, whenever I get frustrated with my job or whatever, or I have hurdles that I need to get through, it's like, man, I spend 10 hours a day in a weight room. I work not in a cubicle in a fucking weight room. Like, I don't, that's a cool environment to me. And that's somewhere I like to be. So it's like, it's like whenever I'm down, it's just helps me to step back and kind of reframe my job that way. And then, um, speaking on that, I'm gonna go on a little bit of a tangent, but speaking on that, it's like finding your passion and the thing that you want to continuously do, you know, whether it's one form or another, another thing, when I get frustrated whether i'm programming or frustrated with whatever's going on it's like okay i need to take a break from this computer work or whatever maybe i need to go lift i'll go lift right now 
right? Or maybe it's like, I'm getting frustrated with my lifting. It's like, all right, I need to figure out a different programming post. So now I go study programming. And like, it's just a continuous loop. And I had a, actually I had a calculus teacher kind of teach me this lesson. Um, Gross. I know, right? And he, he was a freak. He was really good at, at math and that was his jam. But he's like, when you find your passion, it's not, it's not something that you just kind of want to do occasionally, right? When you find your passion, his passion was calculus. He's like, I love my job. I love doing what I'm doing, but sometimes I get frustrated with it. When I get frustrated with it, I'll go work on a fun math problem, quote unquote, fun math problem. He's like, <laughs> and when I get done with that, maybe I'll go read about math theory, you know, cause that's, that's a different outlet and that's fun. And then by that time, I'll come back to my normal job and I, I enjoy that again, you know, and like, as foreign as I think that is with a lot of people with like calculus or with math, you know, for me being a strength coach, it's the same thing. It's like, maybe I get frustrated writing programs or I, I get, I hit a, a wall or whatever. Okay. So I'll go lift. Okay, I've lifted for whatever. I've been lifting hard for an hour, hour and a half or whatever. All right. Maybe I'll go read a programming book or maybe I'll research how I can be a better coach. So, and by that time, maybe I'm back to go, I'm good enough to go back to programming and I still enjoy all that. Right. So it's like something that you can always put a spin on and you always want to do. I think helps define your passion and what you're after. Well, dude, and that's how I feel. I got two things. The first one is that's how I feel about like what, honestly, that's how I feel about my job. But like my coaching, like my Monday, Wednesday, Friday coaching that I go do that breaks up my day in the morning. I have a couple of patients. I do that. And then throughout my day, my fun time is when I go get to coach wrestling. (laughs) like that that's my fun time is when I get to go coach wrestling for the fight ready guys. And then I come back to the clinic. I do some strength conditioning, maybe have some just straight healthcare patients. And then I go coach wrestling again at night over at siege. And it's like all of these different things based around combat sports based around wrestling that like my first passion in life ever. So it's, it's one of those things like finding your passion is awesome. And like, I can speak firsthand. I don't want to do anything else. (laughs) Like it's, it's my fun is going and teaching people about my first passion. That's my fun, which some people like some people, they like drag and that's their job. And they think they act like it's like all this big thing. And I'm like, fuck you. Like I'll do that. Like I love this shit. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other thing is I know you like joking, like, Oh, it's a very millennial approach to you or to, to seeing it. And you're not wrong, but I would almost argue that anybody that's been special at their job has had that approach, that passion. Think about Ford. Ford is a perfect example. All that fucker thought about was cars and engines and mechanical engineering. Think about Tesla, like Nikola Tesla, not even Elon, Elon as well, but like the actual person, Nikola Tesla, all that dude wanted to do was make new things. The only thing he didn't care about anything else. Think about Elon Musk. All that guy wants to do is legitimately change the world, but all he wants to do is come up with new ideas. He's openly said, he's like, I don't know if other people can think about this stuff. I want to change the world because I think that I can. That's all. That's his entire purpose. Like I would, even though, yes, it's a very millennial thing. Like, oh, you should find a passion in your job throughout history. And I'm a huge history buff. And that's why like, I, I, that's, I know a lot of scenarios like this, like Alexander the Great was the same way. All of the philosophers through Greece and through Rome, same exact way. Their passions were their job. And that's what made them special. If you want to open, I'm not, I'm not, this podcast isn't for the people that want to open up a BS gym and be 99th in your region. This podcast is for the people that want to open up the best gym they possibly can and be as good as you possibly can. Like we've talked about before, I don't fuck with normal people. I want people that want to be special at what they do. And like, 
it's you should have a passion for what you do. And, and that's that's something that will always stand the test of time is that if you love what you do, you're automatically going to be better at it. And it's automatically if you love what you're doing, you're infectiously going to inf- infectiously infect using the same word twice, infectiously infect the people that are working with you. And they're going to start loving what they do if you have the right people around you. Absolutely, man. And like that passion that we're talking about the when you're on it or you're in it. Like that's another thing you can't fake. You can't you can't just make that shit appear and happen at whatever you want it to happen at, right? Like like you're either living it or you're not it, and there there's a, a pretty clear line that defines uh, people that are not it but trying, you know. And so um, I think that's exactly and for all the reasons that you quoted, like there's exactly that reason to find your passion into attack that like in today's world there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to make money off your passion yeah i think there's bro people are making six figures making soap yeah again if you have the willpower and you have the tenacity to do things the best in the world like there's a best in the world soap maker right yeah so it's like figure that out dr brunner and it's awesome (laughs) i don't know that brand (laughs) that's the soap i use it's awesome good but like find that and then isolate that and then figure out how like I feel like there's there's a, a resiliency and a need for you know genuine work, but like also a a willpower that I feel like is not there a lot of the times. Like everybody's looking for the next corner to cut or, or the easier way to get things done, and it's like that's not it. Yeah, yeah. you shouldn't. Yeah, dude, I agree. If if you're doing your passion, you shouldn't have to cut corners. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Like you should want like. I don't know. It sounds again, and I have a different way about going about things, but like, it sounds stupid, but like when I wanted to learn more about powerlifting or I wanted to learn more about the West side method, it's like, first thing I did was like strap on my boots and perform it for three months. Like, how did you learn about the country message? Like, yes, I read Louis Simmons. Yes. I uh, studied how to apply that. And especially it's been applied in a collegiate football model and things, but, but I, I went out there and I did it. Like mm-hmm. you learn by doing, or I learn by doing. So it's, it's a, a factor of needing and needing to be excellent, not just wanting, not just trying, but actually needing. Yeah, no. And I agree. I, it's, it's fun being special. You keep, <laughs> you keep thinking of yourself that way, buddy. <laughs> yeah. um, but so for the people that want to scroll to the end and don't want to listen to our rants, Talking about making a high performance facility, it's all about having a community-based goal as well as individual goals leading to the main goal, all right? It's also about finding the right people, not not the best people, not the people that have the best accolades, but the right people for your system and for your culture. And then make sure that everybody is on the same page and that you hold each other accountable. Because if you don't hold each other accountable, nobody will. And that's how businesses with great ideas crash and burn, is if you let somebody off scot-free, the next person gets left off scot-free, and then it just starts falling from there. As always, if you got to get in contact with us, our stuff's in the show notes. So email, Instagram, as well as the Building a Fighter Instagram. Like we talked about, we're looking to get our website started soon, and that will be live. We'll definitely be doing email mailers as well as marketing the website a little bit uh, once it becomes active. Talking about your your personal 2021 goal of, of getting back to your own workouts, um, our Building Fighter Phase One program is uh, is now in its its beta testing. Where I'm going to make Austin go through all the workouts for a month and uh, and give me feedback on how it how it goes. Yeah, which by Austin going through the workouts for a month, that means 
Austin and all of his fighters are going to go through the workouts for a month. <laughs> yeah, Austin's going to sit back and make everybody else do it. <laughs> everybody that's not in camp, be ready for building a fighter. <laughs> um, but and then so those those products will be available soon. Once we get through the beta testing, we know what works, what what everything will be moving, as well as we're looking by the end of the year to start getting our courses beta tested as well as by the end of 2021, beginning of 2022, that's when we'll be looking to have our phase one of our course, how to treat, how to train, how to coach and how to eat like a world-class combat athlete. So as always, this is Dr. Austin Shane, Alex Rubin, and we are out. <laughs>